1: You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment Management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So as we kick, so as we kick off every weekend's Moneywise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take it away.
0: Okay, in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 338 points or 1.2%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 57 points or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was down 331 points or 3.1%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 18.4%. The S&P 500 year to date is down 24.8%. And the
1: NASDAQ year to date is down 34%. Well, the Thursday rip your face off short covering technical bounce rally after the S&P 500 dip below 3500 for just a few minutes didn't hold on Friday.
0: No, and that uh that reversal, I think was in the top 5 largest reversals in the history of the market. It may have been in the top 3. Uh, I know for the Dow on absolutely no news
1: on the Dow. I believe it was the biggest point reversal um, and percentage reversal in its history. I believe I read that Friday morning. Then it was really on. I mean, what was the news that there was
0: no in no particular news item to to have driven what happened? And when we when we we have been talking this week about tax harvesting plans, tax loss harvesting plans for the remainder of the year, which is what every advisor should be doing uh, given the year that we've had here in uh, 2022. We have tremendous capital gains from the beginning of the year when we made changes to our portfolios and also when we made changes to the portfolios in June uh, when we had that that previous low that we've since uh, gone below. But we'd accumulate some, you know, really large capital gains and we had, like anybody that's invested in stocks this year, we had some losses and a few things that we'd invested in. And as any prudent manager should be doing, those losses need to be taken to offset the gains. And we started, uh, doing that this week. And we, we were actually going to do our first one on that Thursday that Kyle was talking about. And then we had that huge reversal and, uh, wanted to see if we get a follow on on Friday before uh starting our tax loss selling and we got a little bit of a of a follow on Friday morning and then it promptly reversed and we executed um that first uh, sale to reduce our capital gains for the year and, and, and in essence we re- reduced our overall asset allocation to stocks were currently at about 35% which is matches uh correct me if i'm wrong kyle that matches about where we were at our lowest point um in june very close we were at very close. We were about
2: 37 i believe no we, so, were, we were we were very close we were in, to it in, there. in and around it's, that range
0: it's still not the lowest S allocation of stocks we've had in our history that's in and around 27 28 that was in october of 2008 um, we still have some more tax loss selling to do um as our listeners would probably already guess, um, I'm still the most bearish out of the three of us, and I feel highly confident that we are going to get to 3,400 uh, probably in the next week. And this 3,400 number was the number that I thought uh, was was an it would take us all the way back to where we were in February of 2020 prior to COVID. We in essence erase everything that happened. In the COVID era, beginning March 2020, all the way through the end of 2021, but just erase it all. Didn't happen. Reset. We go all the way back to that February number, which is about 3,400. I'm rounding it off, ladies and gentlemen. That's where we were the mid about middle of
2: February of
0: 20 of 2020. And, and that would thank you in 2020. That would equal a 30 approximately 30 percent decline top to you know, from the all-time highs in essence we're at the beginning of this year to whenever that you know if we get to that point and I think that we will that would represent about a 30 percent decline for the s p 500 and 30 percent is about the average bear market decline when you take out the 1929 crash the previous I think that would leave like 12. Bear markets, 13, not not in, not, including not including the twenty not including the twenty nine crash. It averages out to about a thirty the average bear market was about a thirty percent loss. <clears throat> so that was a point where we all of us had kind of agreed that if we if we got there, and I think we will, that we were definitely going to start buying something. so in very small increments because none of us are going to be able to pick the bottom. None of the three of us with the combined experience of over 70 years is going to be able to pick the bottom. No one in Wall Street is going to be able to pick the bottom. I doubt any of our listeners will be able to pick the bottom. And so you just got to start, you know, is it a low-risk area to buy down 30% off the highs? History says, yes, it is. Yes. But it doesn't mean that it's the absolute low. And we did the same thing in 8 09. When we started buying uh in the in the fall of two thousand and eight, the low did not occur until the following first quarter in March of oh nine. And we went from uh twenty around twenty-eight percent allocation of stocks to about fifty percent in those roughly six months, buying little bits and pieces incrementally along the way. Dollar so, cost averaging.
1: Dollar cost averaging. And, and we
0: focused mostly on ETFs. There were a few individual stock purchases, and we're just going to follow that same playbook. Not saying that that what's happening right now is not a systemic issue
1: right now. I don't see systemic issues in the banks, and I see we're coming up here on the break, so I'm going to stop right here and pick it up when we come back. Okay, well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So, if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, and right before we went to break, we were talking about you know any listener of the show this year, or just a longtime listener of the show. You know, we all have this good yin and yang as a portfolio management team. Jeff typically being the most bearish, me being the most bullish, and then Joe, in some instances, is the referee, but also has his own, uh, you know, opinions and thoughts of the market, which vary depending upon the conditions. But as we were talking about the market going into the commercial break, as we've talked on this program going on for a good chunk of this year, that we felt that the more investable bottom, not the trading bottom, but the investable bottom for the S and P 500 was right around 3400, which as Jeff had mentioned was in and around the highs we saw in February of 2020 before the COVID pandemic hit. So as we were talking, This is when we, again, start doing some more dollar cost averaging, actually start dipping our toes more into the equity pool. We're currently right around a 35% allocation in our moderate allocations uh, across the board, whether it's an asset builder account or individual stock and bond account. And so we have plenty of dry powder. Plenty of cash to start to put to work if we get to that 3400 level, which, as Jeff mentioned last segment, we could possibly see next week, if not the week after. Uh, but, again, doing it slowly. You don't just cannonball into the deep end of the pool. You start dipping your toes in smaller percentages either every week, every other week. This is allows you to dollar-cost average. Because, as Jeff said, you're never going to be able to time the bottom perfectly, just like you're never going to be able to time the top perfectly. So this is where you start taking those calculated risks and dollar cost
2: average in. Well, I, I do want to add one thing. And it, on the fixed income side, and we talked about it last week, I mean, we've continued to buy treasuries, shorter term treasuries that are getting, you know, anywhere from a four to, I don't know what we bought this week, but, you know, four to four and a quarter yield of maturity and you kind of have to ask yourself if you're hiring somebody to actively manage your portfolio why are you not taking advantage of something that's guaranteed you know you know in 2 years you're going to get your money back plus you're going to get you know well it's a you, it's you, a you riskless
1: deal. investment in us in us treasury treasury notes it's it's a riskless it's a riskless uh return and so this past week, we added another 2.5% position across every single portfolio we manage of a two-year treasury that is paying over and around a 4.4% yield of maturity. Um, and again, we have not seen rates at this level. I mean, we haven't seen a 10-year rate because the 10-year closed on Friday at 4.018. And Jeff went back and did some research. We have not seen a 10-year Treasury yield at that level since June of 2008. So we're talking over 14 years ago. These are some rates that you need to take advantage of. As we've been talking on the Money Wise program, we're finally moving into a yield to maturity range in the bond market to where the 40% of a 60-40 portfolio is going to be doing some heavy lifting into the future which is a silver lining of the Fed raising interest rates the way they have this year.
2: I do want to hit on something because all week I've been working in the past week, working on 401k deadlines, looking at some individ- some investments. And Kyle on a, on a TV show started talking about in-service withdrawals out of a 401k plan. If you're looking at your 401k plan and you're five years from retirement, you're 59 and a half or older, guess what? The odds are pretty good you can't buy those treasuries in your 401k. So if you're, if you're close to retirement and you're thinking about what you need to do, you are limited from a 401k perspective. So you can't buy treasuries even if you wanted to. And if you're buying a bond fund, you're not getting the same thing. You're just not. Jeff hit on it last week. I was just thinking about that this week. And there are people that we've talked to. And, you know, you have to make sure you know what you own. And you have to actually ask yourself, what could I possibly be owning? And what can I do to protect myself? and build a portfolio that's going to last you through retirement. Well, I was going to say, what, what, what can
1: I own in my 401k and what can't I own? And if you are over the age of 59 and, a half, and this is a subject we've touched on on this program for many, many years now, if you're over the age of 59 and a half your 401k provider is not going to be advertising your ability to take an in-service distribution rollover to a self-directed IRA while you're continuing to work for your employer and continuing to participate in the 401k they're not advertising this at all because the 401k provider doesn't want your assets to leave the plan so they can continue to collect fees and we all know anyone that's a participant in a 401k you know that you're hamstrung by the investment options that are available in your menu and it's typically going to be a smattering of individual mutual funds and then the bulk of your menu is going to be target date funds. And we talked about this before we started the show. Jeff was going back and looking, or Joe, you were going back and looking at some performances of target date funds now, this year, year to date. But we talked about it on the MoneyWise Wise program back in 07, 08, 09, after the financial crisis, how many target date funds where participants thought, they were in a more conservative target date fund and they got absolutely hammered during the financial crisis of 08 and 09 and now every 401k almost in existence has some level of target date funds because they're trying to simplify the 401k providers trying to simplify the active the active, active asset management through the use of target date funds so if you find yourself in that post-59-and-a-half-year-old camp and your nest egg, your retirement nest egg is all in your 401K, this is when you might need to start putting your feelers out to take the opportunity to do the in-service distribution so you can get your assets professionally managed that you've spent a lifetime saving for your retirement. And it's also going to open up the field of what investments you can buy and own, like Joe said, individual U.S. Treasury bonds. Jeff, something you wanted to add? I'm sorry.
0: Yes, yeah, so one thing that I found, well, not surprising, and in some some respects, yeah, I was surprised. Two different employers' four hundred one k plans, both of them, uh, generally, the investment options that were available were custom design indexes. They're not publicly traded indexes. There's indexes designed specifically for the four hundred one k. These are from two totally different providers, and both 401K participants were uh, using the managed option, where they allowed the 401K provider to asset allocate amongst those custom-designed index funds. And and it, it was very interesting that both had very similar asset allocations. To the same asset classes, industry groups, and they had about the same performance. And year to date was in excess of minus 20. And it's, it, it just, it just reeks again, ladies and gentlemen, of passive investment management. And the funny thing is, both of them called their providers and asked, their, uh, the representative that answered the phone, who has n- probably isn't even licensed, certainly isn't managing the assets, certainly can't speak to whatever the investment decision-making process is that's going on behind the scenes, and ask them, you know, why ha- – because neither portfolio had really had hardly any changes this year. And amazingly, both representatives answered the participant the same way. Well – if the particulars, uh, investments get 5% uh, out, out, you know, out of line with our target, uh, allocation models, then we get them back into alignment, which is code for what? Rebalancing. And rebalancing <laughs> is not investment management. And both of them answer the same way. So they're both getting training on how to answer, cl- you know, customers when their portfolios are taking it in the pants in a year like this. So the, the answer is, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, we're really not doing any management here. We're just rebalancing and your, your asset allocations are pretty much going to stay the same. So we're not really too concerned that, uh, you've lost more than 20%, 22%, because we know that you're, uh, investing for the long term. Have a nice day. Yeah, that's not, (laughs) that, that is what, that is what ever, that, that is, I guarantee you people call, that you know listed this show and have called their 401 case providers, I bet they're getting the exact same dog and pony show when they call in. Because this is what the legacy distribution system, this is what the to me, I think the majority of this quote unquote low call, you know, low dollar, you know, 35 basis point, 50 basis point quote unquote management program is putting out there. And it's putting out crap. And in a year like this, an investor is really taking it, you know, it's, it's taking it in the pants. There's no other way I can describe it. I see we're coming up to the break, so I'll stop, stop here.
1: All right, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. two one six two if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com don't forget you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through apple podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show so if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, last segment we were talking about in-service distributions from your 401K if you have reached age 59 and a half, And I just wanted to kind of finish up because I know we got cut off by the commercial break. Your 401K provider is not going to be advertising your ability to do this. And so if you find that your nest egg that you've worked your entire life to save and you're concerned about its true at the true active management of a professional for your nest egg, then you need to pick up the phone, reach out to your plan administrator, ask them what the process and procedure is to do that in-service rollover into a self-directed IRA. Some 401k providers can do it via a phone call. Some 401k providers require you to do paperwork, but it's, it's time and it's important for you to ask that question if you just want to be able to open up the field of the different investment options and actually have full-time active management from a professional or professional team, uh, your nest egg is worth it. And it's important enough. And that's serious money that needs oversight. in years like this, again, just go to to show that complacency in your portfolio can really cost you dearly in the value of your 401k. Because we talked about complacency in portfolios Earlier this year, where we've had, you know, three strong years of returns. And so if your portfolio was over allocated to equities, uh, you felt no pain. You were laughing and skipping all the way to the bank until this year. And what what was another
0: thing that worked over and over and over again the last three years? Buying the dips. That's right. Buying the dips worked over and over and over. It hasn't worked this year. No. It hasn't and has not worked this year.
2: And three years ago, even post prior to the pandemic, I remember Jeff talking about what is the thing that it can actually really, really hurt the market, and what what is the, you know, what would be the thing that would precipitously cause the market to correct like we've had right now in a bear market, and it's rates going up. You're not rates just going up, but rates going up in a pretty quick fashion, which we see. Pretty almost a yeah. historic fashion, and that's what you're seeing. You're not seeing people buying on the dips. Especially when you get, you know, you get a ten-year treasury at four percent, and you're getting two years at four. I mean, there is
0: no playbook for interest rate for interest rates to begin going up at such a low rate. There, it has never happened in market history. And so, to go, you're just using the two-year treasury as an example. From I think it was two tenths of a percent was the yield on a two-year treasury in a, a year ago, and now it's pushing four and a half percent on a two-year Treasury, so that's you know, over 400 basis points in 12 months. Now, I know we've had Fed funds rate get raised a bunch here in the 1980s in the short period of time, and I'm sure there might have been times in the past when it went up 4% in a year or 18 months, but that might be going from 12 to 16, not from 0.2 to 4.2.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: what it's what that is causing? It, we had some we had issues, unintended consequences with uh, what's happening in Great in uh, the United Kingdom, and the drama over there continues. With the
1: was it the finance minister getting sacked finance, on Friday? Yeah, fi- uh, you're you're using the Great Britain's term right there, getting sacked. Yeah, I like sack. that using old English right there. No, yeah, he got he got fired. Uh, came out, I think, right as the market, or right before the market opened. um, I believe uh, a gentleman, I I believe his last name is Taylor, is going to be replacing him, Jim Taylor, I believe is his name, on Halloween, on October 31st. Uh, And they're basically scrapping the tax cuts that they were going to be putting into place, not only corporate tax cuts, but for anyone making over 150,000 pounds in Great Britain. those tax cuts are now off the table. The bottom line is is they've got big problems over there. This is not
0: a third-world country. This is a modern, developed market. And so when Jamie Dimon came out and did his press conference after J.P. Morgan's uh, earnings were announced, he had some very interesting quotes, and I'm going to read a couple of them out to you, and you all both know that these are not exactly bullish comments. So here's his his first quote. Quote, I was surprised to see how much leverage there was in some of those pension plans. He's referring to the UK pension plans. Quote, my experience in life has been when you have things like what we're going through today, there are going to be other surprises, end quote. Now, what he's saying there is, when the when the tide goes up, everyone that's swimming naked, you see them. That's a Warren Buffett quote. <laughs> I now, swear, you're
1: reading my mind. I was just thinking of that quote right before you said it.
0: Day, uh, Jamie Dimon went on to say, quote, someone is going to be offsides, end quote. A nice football analogy. Quote, we don't see anything that looks systemic, but there that's is important. leverage in certain credit portfolios. There's leverage in certain companies. So you're probably going to see some of that, meaning there's going to be issues in, in some of, you know, companies. I think there's going to be issues with sovereign debt, maybe in third world countries. Um, how much does that potentially create a contagion? I don't know. Um, we don't have a playbook for two year treasuries going up to, from two tenths to four, over four percent in a year. We don't have that playbook. It just doesn't exist. Now, what we've done in the portfolios is we've taken more risk off the table this week, getting us to almost in and around our lowest asset allocation to stocks this year. And we focused all of our bond purchases not in corporate bonds, not in municipal bonds, but in treasuries, an instrument that we really haven't owned very much of for you know more than 20 plus years we we have not owned uh any you know any treasury instruments in in any of our portfolios but right now the treasury the, the treasury bonds are are paying us uh yields that are uh much more you know they're just more attractive than owning the corporate bonds where you have some credit risk i was actually looking at our our bond uh our the Portion of our bond portfolio where we own some banks and some brokers, uh, but I again, ladies and gentlemen, I am not saying that there are systemic. Nor is Jamie Dimon saying that there are any systemic risks in the banking system, in the brokerage system. Do I believe that there are some hedge funds out there that may be on the wrong side of the trade? Absolutely. Do do we know if any of those hedge funds are on the wrong side of the trade to such an extent that it's going to take some sort of Fed intervention, a la long-term capital management in uh, '97, I believe? Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know, but if there was something like that out there, it would certainly, in my opinion, motivate a risk-off from investors for a period of time. So the hurricane, still here. We are still in the hurricane. And periodically, the winds come up strongly in the hurricane. And the waves come up again in the hurricane. And we're not going to be out of it until, as Jamie Dimon says, markets will continue to be volatile so long as the Fed is boosting rates and shrinking its massive balance sheet.
1: Yes. Exactly. No fun until the Fed is done. But I will say the one other thing that, because Klein here in San Antonio sent me an email about his quote about he feels that there's still more possibly up to 20% downside. And I said, well, we have to kind of take those comments with a grain of salt because I'm very curious to see how J.P. Morgan, uh, how their portfolio is positioned. Could they possibly be? A little more on the short side when their CEO, where when he talks, people listen, puts out that comment and that quote, that we could see another potential 20% downside from here. Well, I don't think Diamond said that. No, he, I mean, he did he did in a different interview. He did in a different interview oh, he earlier did. this week. Yes, he did, where he saw, you know, potentially another 20% downside from here. And my response to to, to the client was, Wonder how J.P. Morgan Chase is positioned in their portfolios. I have a feeling they got a lot of shorts. Well, I don't. Out I don't there. know. So they're talking their yeah. book. Because again, okay, what again, are the no, wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. I don't know how much money that the banks are allowed to have in their portfolios trading on their own I, post 2008. That goes way. I have no idea. We'd have to have an expert uh, with you know with Fed Fed regulations telling me that. I mean, could there could he have a few buddies in the hedge fund industry say, Hey, Jamie, go out there and throw us a bone and, and talk the yeah. markets down a little bit. I, I, you know, maybe, I don't know. Well, but, but I think, but if that, that, if, if it away. was to go down another 20%, Kyle, that would, be, that would take us to minus 45 on the S and P 500. I mean, that, that would be a tech bubble type decline we went down 51% in the in the financial crisis but that was over uh a year and a half and and the tech bubble was almost uh, was exactly 2 years so we i don't, I know. don't I'm I'm not
1: i i am not I'm not I'm not really in that in that camp yeah me neither all right well let's take another commercial break you listen to money wise with davidson capital management your money wise guys will be back after this two one six two If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget you can subscribe to the MoneyWise Podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, Jeff, I know we had um couple big, important inflation data points that came out this past week, so I'll turn it over to you to go into those. So on Wednesday, we had the producer price index announced, and it showed that it increased four-tenths of a
0: percent in the month of September. Um, two-thirds of the of the increase in the index is traced to a four-tenths of a percent rise in prices for services. It, you know, not, not surprising. Um, it was the second largest increase uh, since May when it was up 5 tenths of a percent for the year. And the year-over-year year producer price number, um, I saw it was over 8.2. Yeah, 8.2 for producer prices. Uh, <clears throat> consumer prices, which I know, Kyle, you got some statistics you wanted to go over. It was released on Thursday, and it rose 4 tenths of a percent. In the month of September, increases in shelter food and medical care were the largest of many contributors to the index but they were partially offset by a decline in gasoline um, year over year eight point two percent, which was down from eight point three percent a month before so it was the year over year number was down one tenth of a percent, and that wasn't that wasn't enough that wasn't that, enough for the markets.
1: No, it it, it wasn't. And over the last few weeks, hearing more and more analysts talk about how the year-over-year comparisons are going to really start showing the potential or have the potential for a precipitous fall in the year-over-year consumer price index number. And so on Friday, I wanted to take a look at what the – Price for the basket of goods. Basically, what the government does is it takes a basket of goods, and what does it cost to buy that of go- basket of goods? Well, for September, the end of the month September, it costs two hundred ninety six dollars and seventy six cents for this basket of goods. They always use to look at inflation. So we know the year over year comparison for the September CPI, which was released on Thursday of this past week, was eight point two percent. Okay, so what I wanted to look at, not to put our listeners to sleep, but remember, the Fed is making interest rate decisions not only on the core PCE, which is what they always use for an inflation gauge for adjusting their monetary policy, but now they're paying also very much attention to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which we've seen stocks continuously be repriced all year based on the Fed's monetary interest rate decisions because of consumer price index and core PCE. So I said, okay, well, if we're waiting for the Fed to pivot, which when we say pivot means pause and stop ending of the interest rates so they can get to their terminal Fed rate so stocks can finally be repriced to this terminal rate and the market can start to recover. So I wanted to take a look at, okay, let's just say that this basket of goods That was $296.76, stays in and around the same for the month of October, November, on into December. When I look at the year-over-year comparisons, keeping that price of that basket of goods the same as it was in September, the October PCE, or excuse me, the the October CPI will go from 8.2 to 7.3. Using that same cost of goods, year-over-year comparison for November will be 6.5. So in two months, if that price of goods in that basket stay in and around the same as it was at the end of September, we will see CPI go from 8.2 to 6.5 in the course of 60 days. Now, I could go even further with this calculation. But once we start getting into the first quarter of next year, that CPI is going to be moving very quickly to the Fed's mandate of 2%, if not lower, and actually see deflation from a year-over-year comparison. So needless to say, the point of doing this calculation, as we've said in past shows, that the Fed is probably in the seventh-inning stretch when it comes to, making adjustments to their monetary policy of raising interest rates. I would say now we're definitely in the eighth inning. We're getting closer to the end to where the Fed can make the pivot because these year-over-year consumer price index comparisons are really going to be making huge moves, To the downside, getting smaller on a year-over-year comparison basis. So this is important because if you go back through history, markets typically start to recover a month or two before the Fed pivots and stops raising interest rates. So could we see November start to be the month of recovery? Could it be December? Could we start to see some markets slowly starting to recover at the end of this month? It's anyone's guess we don't have that crystal ball, but this is definite food for thought for investors out there that are sitting on dry powder, have their buy list together, and want to start incrementally stepping into the market because, from my analysis, from our feelings, we're closer
2: to the Fed pivot. I have another general statistical for you. Usually, Please the third it. The third year of a president's administration. Yeah. Typically, and I don't know this – I guarantee you Jeff has the stats because he probably hasn't – We've talked about this before. Jeff has it tattooed on the inside of his wrist probably, but usually that's a pretty good year. So going – I don't know how many years going back or how many administrations going back, but usually the third year of a new administration, the market usually generally does pretty well. So we have a couple things possibly working for us going into next year. Well,
1: if the year-over-year CPI is a big number that the Fed uses to make determinations – for raising, uh, interest rates. We know the core PCE, which has been the Fed's classic indicator for monetary policy, which they haven't been paying as much attention to. It has already peaked. It peaked in February, and I don't feel it's going to be going back to the February core PCE peak that we saw. And so we're definitely well into the eighth inning of the Fed and their interest rate hiking policy. So that's the analysis that i did on friday and i wanted to let all of our listeners know and take it for what it's worth but i think we're definitely much closer to the pivot than just the you know middle innings of the fed raising interest rates because that core pce is going not core pce excuse me the cpi is going to be changing and it's going to be changing quite a bit as the months tick on to the end of the year into the first quarter of 2023 so anything else you guys want to add before we go to the top of the top of the hour break? Well we've got quite a bit of earnings news next week with industrial production, housing
0: starts, existing home sales, and leading economic indicators. So we're going to get an idea of what the health of the housing market is right now, and it's probably not great. We're also going to be getting a whole lot
1: of earnings. Whole lot. That's right. Whole lot. So stay tuned. Well, we're coming up to the top there, hour break, so we'll take the break going to the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. You MoneyWise guys will be back after the news.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at
0: If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right hand corner of
1: our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, being in our second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch, from the Wall Street Journal, titled Five Things Every Retirement Portfolio Should Have." And for any longtime listener of the Money, or for any longtime listeners in the MoneyWise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists. Our countdown list here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one, for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income and that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And Uh, kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow, and to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again. Uh,
3: The dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those 10 stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income.
1: And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you yield. can say
3: it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day, on a pretty good day the other day. So yeah. it is something over 5%. But the one thing I would say about this, Kyle uh, – you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account: a consistent income. Now, in, in days gone by, obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio, and that was true from the time uh, in the late '70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in '08. But because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following which is basically a zero interest rate policy. Uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can, they can get consistent income. I was the say, problem yeah. is it's not a level at which <laughs> they can be retired.
1: That, that they can survive on unless, and as we've talked on this program, if you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large... And your income needs so modest, and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then, you know, you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, w- really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, for any given year.
3: That's that's the easiest place to begin. Easiest place and these are all household names so i think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with
1: okay so again five things every portfolio retirement i want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because
3: here especially since the
0: financial crisis we there there've been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general there's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value many of the the, the mesh limited partnerships some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up, and for whatever reason, the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a twelve or fifteen percent yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding twelve or fifteen percent. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding eight, and now it's gone down twenty percent or thirty percent in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can't actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that, Dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more. Uh, uh, there's a better treatment of of, of taxation uh, on on those dividend paying stocks than you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds.
1: Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 Two one six two, And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the... REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships, and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income, right. but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had. And I've said, I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said, Oh, Kyle, look at the great 10, 15, 12 percent. Uh, dividend yield I'm getting, and and I said to them, but you've lost 50% or 75% of the value of your original investment. And then I see the look come over their face saying, oh my gosh, I just realized that I was, like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture. So for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, its not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print. In every perspective, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number
0: two. Number two.
1: Five things that every retirement
0: portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been, really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013. There's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top, and that oh, you know it, it's it, That's all it. these this all these it. yeah this is it it can't go any higher. We'll go we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began and there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to in essence board up their portfolios get ready for that coming storm get ready for that hurricane that's coming and you know preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about but it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks. You have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio, you have some bonds, and you have some cash, so if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar. But most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses and market downturns don't have port- have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks. And what's getting ready to happen? And what's really what, started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds? They thought that being invested in bonds, if they got out, say in the in the uh, the, the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, "I want out. I don't care." What it, what it, where things are valued at, I don't care where the markets are, I don't care what the news is, I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. and so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013. And, and and suddenly, this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio, I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds.
1: And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account. I mean David's you know, we're in our twenty fifth year of business and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for twenty five plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, Okay, Mr or Mrs. Client, sixty percent of your money is in stocks, forty percent of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like, we're, like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now, but then also when the wind Ends and the tide shift, and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment. Then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years. It's how shallow you keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here that have come through our front door that have been in that situation, if you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your whole shallow, being in an actively managed balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term so number two was preservation of capital Uh, number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity and boy I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm and liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form, and also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – The one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, That is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build, Goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, That's if you choose the single life payout. Now we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why. You should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, Uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions. Um, this really this, this whole discussion is really going out to you and, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's gonna be less, Then option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option, and there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number 3 is you have a survivorship benefit and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension, but again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, "Well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options. Three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction?" Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's fifteen hundred dollars, that is what you're gonna be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that fifteen hundred dollars you're receiving a month every month that goes by that fifteen hundred dollars buys a little bit less now imagine receiving that payment for twenty twenty five thirty years i can assure you thirty years from now fifteen hundred dollars is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs.
0: And what if you, let's say you take the election and you, you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and in a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. You can't do anything.
1: Can't do anything. Or
0: how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have... Usually when you were when you retire from an organization you might have a traditional four hundred one K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well let's just say you have enough in your four oh one K to live off of in retirement and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh put it to work you for put it. you put it to work you don't have to start taking distributions from even your 401k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of 70 and a half under current law so flexibility and 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 that's not one of these one of the uh, it should be five, a slash it should it, be liquidity it should be liquidity slash flexibility that's right and by committing yourself to a stream of payments no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A
2: year from now. A Jack. year
1: from now. I mean, six months from
0: now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So, so why tie your hands into something? Why Why? Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to, to a... Taking a pension uh, payout in, in the form of uh, payments, which is in essence an annuity. they don't ever call it that I know. which is very interesting. it's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for, for your, your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say, that this
1: is an essence of an annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves by but, but doing it by not owning an annuity. And having full access to their money in case. Complete
0: liquidity, complete, complete flexibility,
1: flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency, is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities. And it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff. Some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston. we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted. Yes, sir, you're correct. We do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it
0: ought to be against the law for employers to to to, to mislead that. Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the the, the corporations that make... Co- corporate contributions into the into the employee's pension plans, by keeping more money in it, they don't have to contribute as much as, uh, right. as a corporation, which improves their profitability. That's right. And so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire. That's right. It's not very common,
1: but it does happen. It does happen. So... Again, <clears throat> five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of
0: maybe reiterating what we had said in some of the some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and, and the, the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity, yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, the, they're required to report, you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially You can't get out of them
1: for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've you been around the block a few times with these.
0: In the 25 years we've managed money, we have n- we only invest in securities – that are publicly traded, that that have that you can look up online, that have a symbol, you can, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's a stock, whether it's an exchange-traded fund, whether it's a bond, they're all publicly traded. They're all highly liquid investments. And w- we would not recommend to most investors, unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote-unquote play or Vegas money, that you avoid
1: investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh, my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold, and at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. Uh, and our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, Um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that At Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee based, Uh, structure a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the the incentive the more money they make for you the more money they make for themselves and then if the value of the portfolio goes down so does their management fee so pay attention to competitive costs ask the questions and and just really read the fine print
0: don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with, how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And and, and the person on the other side of the table should not hem haul around or should not try to deflect the question away. Because cost And what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show, they can add up. And they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out Uh, for folks that are involved with, WRAP accounts at the major brokerage houses, and they they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in. Many of those WRAP accounts start off at 2 2.5% two per year and go up from there. That's right. uh, we've seen many WRAP accounts that exceeded 3% of assets under management and don't even get a Stardust started about annuities.
1: Well, and I'll kind of leave this number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with has paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income, now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth, whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. You need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this the last few 401k's that i've reviewed for prospective clients i've been noticing just here recently a trend especially with how well the markets did in 2013 where i've seen folks that are you know in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70 80 100% of their 401k in either cash fixed income or the stable value fund because they feel that you know what i've grown my 401k to Four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and I'm not willing to take any more risk. So I'm just going to put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset. And that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long-term growth. And and we've always said, don't be confused with pre- preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation. Is, is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio. Not paying attention to that, not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss. Well, it's not going to show it on your statement, but it is a loss.
3: One thing that, that I think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the CPI running around 2% are just about over. Yeah. And we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride it into safe. the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is, you think you're playing it safe, you are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when
1: you're doing this, you are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio and so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half. One thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401K and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401K plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401K, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you, while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit-sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401K. Because if you've amassed $400,000, 700000 or more in your 401K and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- 00070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend, and to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.